This is Archive Atlanta, episode 97, Movie Censor. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. Here we are, two years later and nearing 100 episodes. And I'm not going to lie, when I began this project, I assumed I would eventually run out of ideas or topics, and I thought it was going to happen in six months. But the weirdest thing happens every single week, which is that my Google Doc list continues to grow. And even when I start to panic, there's some weeks I just don't love anything that's on the short list, there's this little bit of digging that happens, and then the research rabbit hole appears. And this is how this week's episode topic came about. So it started with a special behind-the-scenes tour that I got of St. Mark's Church. Um, Shout out to Christia. And we were in the basement of that church. And so she pulls out this huge oil painting. And she tells me, oh, this was Atlanta's movie censor, I think. And so I kind of made this mental note. I started researching. And here we are. This week, we're covering Atlanta's Better Films Committee, its first unofficial censor, who she was, its later paid city position, who that was, and the movies that they approved or denied. Film censorship in the United States dates all the way back to 1897, when the state of Maine passed a statute to prohibit the showing of a boxing match. In 1907, Chicago enacted the first censorship ordinance in the country, which authorized its police chief to screen all films before showing them. When legal challenges were upheld, that opened the door to statewide censorship laws, which first happened in Pennsylvania. Eventually, there would be over 100 U.S. cities with censorship boards, and Atlanta was one of them. Before we get to our local history, I know what some of you may be thinking. What about freedom of speech, right? I mean, that's what I thought. And I learned this fascinating piece of history, which is that in 1915, the Supreme Court ruled that motion pictures were purely commerce and not art, therefore not covered by the First Amendment. World War I devastated the movie industry in European filming capitals and so subsequently gave rise to Hollywood, which was replacing New York as the movie mecca in the United States. The 1920s produced an average of 800 feature films, which made up about 82% of what was being shown worldwide. So of course, with these new forms of media, you know, coming into your hometowns, more people wanted to figure out how to control it. And there is public outcry over the immorality, the sexuality shown in movies, and cities across the U.S. are forming censorship boards. In 1915, a legislative act made it possible for the city of Atlanta to create a body that would, quote, reject obscene or licentious pictures or pictures that may affect the health, morals, and good order of Atlanta, end quote. In December of 1921, the Better Films Committee formed in Atlanta, organized and led by Mrs. B.M. Boykin. And let me just make a public service announcement now. Uh, Throughout the episode, I am talking about strong and powerful and influential women, and we barely know their first names. All of Atlanta's women from history, especially the 1800s and early 1900s, go by Mrs. Husband's name. And because they were written about this way, this is how I will refer to them. But just so everyone knows, I am dying inside when I say it. The first meeting of this new film review committee was held in the Ansley Hotel, and they would continue to hold them every Saturday, viewing films that would be shown during the week. The first movie they recommended was Tollable David, today considered a classic of the silent film era, and it was labeled with a, quote, endorsed by the National Board of Review and the Atlanta Better Films Committee, end quote. So each movie they approved had, like, this little sticker on it. 
In September of 1922, Atlanta organized its first Better Filmed Week, copied from neighbor Birmingham, Alabama. Mrs. Boykin and committee member Mrs. Alonzo Richardson headed to New York to preview and select each of the films that would be played here. The grand event opened with an orchestral concert and 12 theaters around the city showed films for the whole week. It was a huge success. In the same year, the film industry created Motion Pictures Producers and Distributors Association, which was a lobby organization led by Will Hayes. That may sound familiar to you if you know about the Hayes Code, but we will get to that later. Also in 1922, the Southeastern Conference for Better Films was held in Atlanta at the New Women's Club Auditorium. And so they had resolutions submitted to the conference, and these all came from Mrs. Alonzo Richardson. And they included, long list here, uh, no exaggerating sex or sex appeal. You couldn't say anything about white slavery, which is kind of the word for child sex trafficking, I think, if you want to compare it to today. Um, You could not highlight an illicit love affair, which makes vice look attractive. No nakedness or scant clothing, no bedroom or bathroom scenes, um, no unnecessarily prolonged expressions of passionate love. I I think maybe love scenes. Um, No underworld, vice, or crime, unless it's a good versus evil thing and good must always win. No drunkenness or gambling, um, nothing that instructs the feeble-minded how to commit a crime, anything that ridicules public officials, law enforcement, or the U.S. military, any branch. Nothing sacrilegious, no bloodshed or violence, um, nothing vulgar with improper gestures, and no salacious titles or subtitles. Let's just pause for a second because that takes out like every single movie that we have popular today. Zella Richmond was Atlanta born and bred, and in 1887, she married Alonzo Richardson. Alonzo's father came to the city in 1851, so he is considered an Atlanta pioneer. And Mrs. Alonzo Richardson, as she came to be called, was incredibly smart. She used her talents and her leadership to rise in the ranks of the Atlanta Women's Club, which I did an episode about, and then later the Georgia Federation of Women's Clubs. She was the definition of high society influential women in Atlanta. A magazine issue of Film Progress, which was published by the National Committee for Better Films, included a piece on Georgia's crusaders for quote-unquote safe films, uh, and Mrs. Alonzo Richardson is quoted speaking about the state censorship laws. So she believed um, throughout her whole life that statewide or federal laws were not successful or necessary. Um, She thinks that the Better Film Committee, the stuff that she's doing, just works, you know, so we don't need this federal legislation. She is chairman of the Department of Citizenship for the Georgia Federation of Women's Clubs, and so film censorship fell under her umbrella. Now, before you misconstrue her words as being progressive or anti-censorship, what she really meant was that she believed films should come clean from Hollywood. So Hollywood should be producing films that do not really need to be censored. And leaders understood that censorship was controversial and it wasn't the easiest route. They wanted Hollywood to do the heavy lifting, so to speak. And Hollywood was fully aware of this too. In 1923, Mrs. Richardson was elected president of the Atlanta Better Films Committee. And my favorite thing that she does is she starts upgrading the meeting locations. So you can see them go to the Piedmont Hotel, they have meetings in the Tea Room at Rich's, and it switches almost every month. She also works closely with film industry lobbyists, and they have speakers come in to talk about um, how Hollywood is a regular place and acting is a regular way to make a living. 
The committee is also hard at work watching and recommending movies for the city, and they especially love The Third Alarm, which was a movie about a veteran fireman who only drove horse-drawn engines. When the department switches to motorized vehicles, he can't figure out how to operate them, and he is forced to retire. Atlanta's fire chief at the time, Chief Cody, and former Chief Joyner joined Mrs. Richardson in their appeal to the mayor about how showing this movie would help Atlantans understand the heroism of firefighters. The committee also chose movies that children across the city would watch in the popular Saturday matinees, and there were different movies chosen for white kids and black kids. Mrs. Alonzo Richardson took a trip to Hollywood under the watchful eye of the motion picture producers and distributors of America, and she even visited Colleen Moore, who was formerly Kathleen Morris. She was an Atlanta girl that was now a big Hollywood movie star. When Richardson came back, um, she would continue to take trips like this from years to come. She would go to New York, she would go to California, she would go to Europe. And in 1926, she comes back with the approved Ben-Hur and Stella Dallas on her list. In 1926, Georgia Congressman William Upshaw urged the passing of his federal censorship bill, which would, quote, keep the motion picture business from becoming a national curse, end quote. If this had passed, the government would have controlled production, as well as detailed criteria of forbidden material, which is basically whatever the government didn't want to show. Locally, Ms. Richardson denounces the bill. She's like, you know, what we're doing is fine. She said that before. But because of these attempts at federal legislation, uh, the Motion Picture Association self-regulates even harder, and then they pass the Motion Picture Production Code which that was 1930. Now, this is often called the Hayes Code after William Hayes. Although it's not really enforced until 1934, what it did was prevented certain themes or scenes from movies, including, but definitely not limited to, homosexuality, um, sex scenes, and miscegenation, or intermingling of the races. By the mid-1930s, Atlanta had formed the Board of Film Review, and Richardson was the executive secretary. Technically, Zella was never officially titled as the city's movie censor, although she was 100% acting in that capacity and doing the work. When Gone with the Wind premiered in 1939, she was at the helm of welcoming festivities for the cast of the movie. And I read an article um, that she did have reservations about the movie, but it was solely because of the childbirth scene with Melanie, which she did not feel was proper to show a white Southern woman in that way. By 1945, Mrs. Alonzo Richardson is ready to retire, and she insisted that the mayor accept her resignation, which he did, but who would fill the role of movie censor for the city? Interstage left, Christine Smith. Born in Ruskin, Tennessee, graduated from, some papers say Agnes Scott, some people say Century College. She had a graduate degree from Emory, and she taught at Bernal. She was director of the Atlanta League of Women's Voters when she applied for the censorship position, beating out two male opponents, one who was a teacher at Tech High and the other was a librarian at the Federal Penitentiary. Smith explains her job is to edit out anything that's considered, quote, detrimental to the peace, health, and good order of the community, end quote. She says Hollywood's doing a really great job and she is sure to never impart her personal taste. For example, she hates Abbott and Costello, but she knows they're very popular. One year into the gig, and she bans Scarlet Street because it shows a protagonist that gets away with murder. 
In the post-World War II period, movies start coming out that are challenging race relations and Jim Crow segregation. And we're going to talk briefly about two different movies, one that was banned and one that was approved, and how these help us understand the role of censors in trying to maintain white supremacy and the status quo. Lost Boundaries was a lower-budget production telling the story of a black family living in a small town in New Hampshire that had been passing for white for 20 years. As expected, the truth comes out, the movie deals with that struggle, and then eventually the, the black family is re-accepted into the white community. The other movie, called Pinky, was a high-budget Hollywood hit um, telling the story of a biracial woman from Mississippi who left her hometown, lived her life as a white woman, and that by the end of the movie, she decides to return to the South and live her true self, a black woman. And these are very, very brief summaries, but the plot is important to understand Christine's reasoning behind her censored decisions. Lost Boundaries was banned by Smith in July of 1949, but three months later, Pinky was approved. The showing of Pinky was a huge event for Black Atlantans. Uh, the balcony of the Roxy Theater was reserved completely for Black Atlantans, which it normally wasn't. The bottom levels were packed with white moviegoers, which was also rare to have two races together in the theater at that time. In October, the producers of Lost Boundaries asked if they could show the movie in Atlanta and just not charge admission. And Smith says while the ordinance doesn't say anything about this, can't prevent that, she could not guarantee that the police would not stop the showing. So what's the deal with these movies? Why was one okay and one was not? I found an entire research paper on this exact detailed topic, but the basic summary is that Pinky showed a black woman who returned to the South, she shunned her white fiancé, and she went back to her quote-unquote place. In Lost Boundaries, the family was seen on the same level as their white neighbors, and the movie ends with their acceptance. We cannot be having that in 1950 Atlanta. Just a few months later, a lawsuit is brought against the city of Atlanta by Universal Film Exchanges and Diana Productions, basically the producers of Lost Boundaries. The Atlanta Federal District Court upholds Smith's ban of the film, citing the 1915 law, and the ACLU urges the district court in New Orleans, where it was headed, to overturn the Atlanta ruling, saying that the motion pictures are entitled to First Amendment rights. So the film had eight attorneys uh, representing them, and what I found just so cool, is that one of them was Atlanta's A.T. Walden, who was a prominent Black attorney um, that did a lot of work in the civil rights movement. In October of 1950, the Supreme Court held up Atlanta's right to censor, voting 8-1 to one to not even hear the petition by movie producers. And the decision was touted by Mayor Hartsfield as being a great one. Exactly one year later, Smith allowed the showing of Streetcar Named Desire along with A Place in the Sun, and People Will Talk. And the whole city whispered that maybe she's becoming a little more progressive. By 1954, she married city alderman Ed Gilliam. She was 44, and he was 54, described in the papers as, quote, formerly the most notorious bachelor in Atlanta's official family, end quote. Their small wedding took place inside the Glen Memorial Chapel in Inman Park and was officiated by Warren Candler himself. After a honeymoon in Havana, Cuba, Christine returns home to watch more movies. In 1952, the United States Supreme Court passed a landmark decision in Bernstein v. Wilson, which is called the Miracle Decision. 
It essentially recognized films as an artistic medium that was protected under the First Amendment. And this really signaled the decline of motion picture censorship in the country. After this, the roles of censors like Christine Smith were in jeopardy. In 1960, she's defending her role. She said she's seen 4,230 movies, not counting the ones she's seen five or six times, and she's only banned 98, 51 being from foreign countries. She tried to ban Never on a Sunday, which was a Greek movie uh, that she thought was harmful to children because it had a quote-unquote happy prostitute in it. Uh, Fulton County Superior Judge Luther Alverson found that Never on a Sunday was not obscene. It had been shown in 2,000 theaters in 175 different cities, but his decision was then brought up to the Supreme Court um, of the state of Georgia and then overturned. In 1962, the Georgia Supreme Court found Atlanta's censorship ordinance in violation of the state's constitution. Christine's job title is changed to movie reviewer, and she would work for just two more years. In 1964, she resigned her post and her $7,000 yearly salary, and she recommended that the position be abolished altogether. While Mayor Ivan Allen accepted her resignation, the city did not immediately abandon the job of motion picture reviewer. It's not that she wanted to quit the work she'd been doing for almost 20 years, it was that with the latest court rulings, it was impossible to, to do her job. And what she needed was that city council had to pass their own stringent local censorship laws, but that just wasn't high on their list of priorities. In 1966, there was an article in the Constitution stating that the last six months of movies have been shocking and appalling to all those that watch them, and a local woman is quoted as saying, when will Hollywood stop making these sex-oriented pictures? Why don't they release more films like Disney's That Darn Cat? <laughs> so there you have it. The story of film censorship in Atlanta, starting with the Better Films Committee, the role of Mrs. Alonzo Richardson, and her passing the torch to Christine Smith Gilliam who approved or denied the movies that Atlantans watched all the way through the mid-1960s. Christine Smith died in August of 1971, and she's buried at Decatur Cemetery. Zella Richardson died in 1946, and she's buried at Westview. Thank you all for listening. Remember to leave a rating or review in your podcast app and head over to the Patreon link in the show notes to find out how you can support the podcast. I hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.